something happened. Something happened. And it was hard for them to know exactly what, but people don't quite change like you see the change of these disciples from the Gospels to the book of Acts. People don't change like that unless something significant happens in their lives. Because before Jesus called them, they were, they were tax collectors and they were, they were sinners, as the Pharisees called them. They were zealots and they were doubters and there was a treasurer who was stealing from the, the pot himself. And then there's Peter, this guy that we tend to respect today, but boy, you look back on it and Jesus somehow mistakes his name to call him Satan at some point which you never want anyone to mistake your name for Satan, right? These are the guys that Jesus gathers around him. These are the guys who are supposed to launch this thing called the church. And after spending three years with Jesus, these 12 guys don't seem to get it any better at the end. Because in the moment Jesus needs the most, where are they? They've run off. Nowhere to be found. Who needs enemies when you have friends like that? But these 12 losers who can't seem to do anything right, all of a sudden things change, don't they, in the story? Because something happened. Here we are today, a movement, a worldwide church, people worshiping all over the world today because of these 12 guys who go out and share a message about the one who taught them, the rabbi who had taught them. What could possibly give Jesus any indication that these were the ones to select? Maybe he knew something they didn't know. Maybe he knew something that we seem to have a hard time seeing in our own day and age. He knew that God was going to fulfill a a promise that had been promised centuries before the time of Jesus. That promise is found in several places, but one of those places is the book of Ezekiel. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn open to that well-worn book in your Bibles. It tends to fall right open there, doesn't it? Ezekiel 36. I want to start reading in verse 24. This is the promise in Ezekiel that we see fulfilled. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. Oh, that must have been good news. I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is a message of restoration, a message of hope, a message that God would one day do what doesn't seem to be possible in that moment. He'll cleanse our impurities. I'll give you a new heart, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. I'll put a new spirit within you. What kind of spirit? God says, my spirit. This is a prophecy about the Holy Spirit. This morning, I want to begin a a conversation over the next few weeks about the Holy Spirit. And I hope this, uh, these series of weeks will be uh, maybe a a message that will be new in some ways to us. Maybe a message that will confirm and reaffirm some things maybe we've always thought that we've been taught along the way. Maybe some of you have received teaching on the Holy Spirit that's better than what my track record was. 
Because I don't remember a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit in the churches I grew up in. But I think it's vital for us as we become a church that desires the renewal of God's Spirit in our own day and age. That the Spirit that's spoken of in Ezekiel and this Spirit that somehow changed these 12 men in Acts 2. That, that maybe that same Spirit is the very thing we need most in our day and age as well. Something happens in the book of Acts and I think it has something to do with this prophecy in Ezekiel and this Holy Spirit that somehow we're coming to know more and more. I want to pray in just a moment. Before I do that, I want to introduce you to a couple of guys that you may already know. Uh, Caleb Beck and Charles Cabeza are here with us this morning. In fact, if you all would stand, I know you don't like this, you want to stay seated, but if you all would welcome uh, Caleb and Charles. They are missionaries from Rwanda, um, or ministers in Rwanda. Uh, some, sometimes we think of missionaries as this special class of people. They're people who are called, that have uh, seen the call of God, and they've, they've, they've seen it happen and be at work. We've been at work with this work in Rwanda. In fact, we had a team that just went recently, the Taylors and the Bruces. Mark Maxey were over there for two weeks seeing the work. It's been incredible to kind of track that trip. In fact, last week, I want to share this with you. We'll share the video with you another week, but they had 33 baptisms. This last week in Rwanda. And I'm grateful for God's word. God is at work in this world. And it's easy for us to forget and lose sight of. But these are things we need to celebrate and mark. These are Ebenezer's for us. Uh, reminders of God's hope and his presence. And our prayer this morning is that the same spirit that's at work in those new Christians would be at work in our lives this morning. So we're grateful to have you all here. In fact, make sure and come up and meet Caleb and Charles, after the message, if you get a chance to today. Let's pray as we uh, open our time this morning. God, we invite your spirit into this place, God. And we know your spirit is ever-present. It's not that your spirit shows up in some places more than others. It's that we become aware. We, we welcome the spirit in our lives more when we uh, are becoming more transformed. And so this morning, God, I pray, whatever you need to do in us, through your Holy Spirit, would you move and would you work and would you act? God, our filters that protect us from experiences and change. God, would you remove those filters? Would you allow us to hear your truth through your spirit this morning? God, whatever I speak this morning that is consistent with who your spirit is, would you confirm that and allow those things to stick in our lives this week? Whatever I speak this morning, God, that's not true of your spirit. God, would you let those things fall away, not to be remembered? We want you to be made famous in the city, in this world, God. And we believe it's through your spirit that that happens. So this morning, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's the name of Jesus that we pray and all God's people said, amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to ask you to open to the Gospel of John. Uh, the Gospel of John, we'll spend uh, most of our morning there this morning. I'd love for you to be able to turn with me to certain pages that are there. I want to uh, begin in John 13. There's a section of scripture in John 13 through John 17 that talks a lot about the Holy Spirit, but I want to set the context for this conversation this morning because these are Jesus' famous last words to his disciples in the Gospel of John. John 13 is the story that many of you grew up learning. It's a story about the Last Supper that we've seen depicted in Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper picture, right? It's, it's the Passover and they're all coming together and they don't know it's the last meal that they're going to have with Jesus, but Jesus seems to have a sense of what's going on. And while he's at the table with these disciples, several key things happen. One of them, he, he washes the feet of his disciples, uh, an incredible act of service from their rabbi. And, and so they're 
taken uh, back by this act of service from Jesus. Jesus also predicts that one at the table is going to betray him. And and he actually hands the bread over to Judas and says, go and do what you're to do. I want you to think, if you've spent three years with Jesus and these others, how, 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 how might that have brought surprise to the table to think that Judas, the the one who was carrying the money all this time, he's the one to betray Jesus. And so all of that happens, but there's another thing that happens. Jesus predicts that Peter is going to deny him and that before the rooster crows. That, this is all that happens at this table. It's an incredible meal with so much that happens. And that's the context that sets the stage for what Jesus says in John 14 through John 16 and 17. It's quite a scene. And so everything Jesus says in chapters 14 through 17 are spoken in this context, knowing that Jesus is on his way in some way to die, to to pass away. But this is the good news that he leaves with them. This is John chapter 14. Let me begin in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Again, Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples. Be at peace. The promises I've given you, the Father, I'm, I am who I said I've been. Be at peace. Let me comfort you with these words. And I'm going to come back. I'm going to leave, but, but this isn't the end of the story. And it's in these con- this context, again, that Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples. And then he began to speak about this Holy Spirit as part of the comfort he's bringing to these disciples. This is uh, verse 16, John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Again, how does Jesus comfort them? Jesus is going to ask God the Father to send the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, to live in them. And then again in verse 26, pay attention to what he says a bit later in the chapter. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Again, Jesus is even more clear in this passage. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all the things and remind you of all the things that I have taught you. This is what the Spirit does. But perhaps the craziest passage that I want to share with you this morning, that I want to dwell in this morning, is in the 16th chapter of John. John 16, verse 7. Hear these words. Let them stick with you. Jesus says, but very truly I tell you, It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let me read this one more time. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now just let this sink in for just a moment. Again, Jesus is trying to bring comfort to these disciples. He's saying, I'm going away. I'm sending the spirit of truth to remind you. But then he says these incredible words. It's good for you that I leave. And and I can't imagine being the disciples saying, what what are you talking about? Jesus, how can it be a good thing that you're leaving the earth? How can we do this without you? But Jesus' words remain the same. 
It's good for you that I'm going away. And why? Because if I don't go away, then the Spirit will not come to be with you, to rest inside you. In other words, in some strange, miraculous way, this is the struggle I've had this week. It seems better to have the Holy Spirit living in us than it is even to have Jesus living among us. I don't even know what to do with that. Because in my world, uh, I would take three years of living with Jesus over the Holy Spirit that resides in me, if I'm honest. I I would take that every single time if given the option. Which makes me wonder, maybe I haven't understood fully what it is that I've been given as a gift in the Holy Spirit. I mean, how many of you would make that decision? Am I right? Would, Would some of you make the same call? You could live beside Jesus, you could see the miracles... You could touch his nail-scarred hands, and Jesus says, no, 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 it's good that I go away. Because when I go away, you get the Holy Spirit to live in you. How could that be? How is it better to trade a, a human Jesus, a man they could eat with and talk with and hear his sermons and see his miracles and laugh with for a spirit they could not see with their own eyes? And if it's better to have the Holy Spirit living in us than Jesus living among us, then why didn't I hear about this Holy Spirit in the same way growing up that I needed to? Now, when I say Holy Spirit, I know a lot of things probably come to mind for us, right? Some of us, we, we, we think about Pentecostal churches or charismatic experiences we may have seen depicted in, in movies or maybe been a part of ourselves. Maybe, maybe you think of Trinity Broadcasting Network and Benny Hinn and the revivals, right? And I don't, I don't know what comes to mind. Maybe you think about the Bible because of the teaching you've had Growing up, we have all these constructs about what the Holy Spirit is. Maybe it is the Holy Ghost that is the language you grew up with. And and that's kind of bizarre language in our world. Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. Here's something you might not know that may get more to who the Spirit is in our lives. The the words, uh, the the scriptures written in two different languages most, Hebrew and Greek. They're the most prevalent languages. And and each of those uh, testaments, each of those languages speak about the Holy Spirit in similar ways. The word in the Hebrew is the, the, the word ruach. You, that's a fun word to say. You want to say it with me this morning? Ruach. You got to say that C-H. You get that on the ending, right? The word in the Greek is the word pneuma. And both of these words mean spirit, but, but they mean other things. They mean spirit, or they can mean wind, or they can mean breath. In both languages, they, they can mean any of those things. Spirit, wind, or breath. It's as if when the writers of of Scripture are talking about the Holy Spirit, they're letting us know that the Spirit is close to us as our own breath. And the Spirit is as controllable as the wind. The problem is you can't really control the wind, can you? A few years ago, Holly and I were uh, spending my days off on Fridays, trying to spend time with our kids and doing fun things together. And we were trying to do fun things, but then tie whatever we were doing back to stories about Jesus and about God and trying to teach them these lessons as we had these fun family days. And so one of those days we decided we want to teach our kids about the Holy Spirit. How would, how would we do this? And, and so my training in Greek kind of came to me in that moment. I said, okay, pneuma, that's, that's wind and that's breath. Maybe there's something there we can do. And so we decided we're going to go out and we're going to fly a kite on this day. So we go to the store and we buy a kite. Of course, the car's kite because that's what Maddox wanted at the time. And, and so we, we go out, and i got to tell you, I'm a novice kite flyer. It's not something I grew up with all that much. And so it seemed like a good day because the wind was blowing about 30 miles per hour on average. And, 
And, uh, and so we, we go out and we, we go to the park, and, and Maddox is probably three or four, and Addie's one or two years old, and so we get out there and we, we unravel this kite, and it kind of starts to go up in the air, and, and within 10 seconds, the, the string snapped on the kite, and it flew off and actually hit a car in the street as it was going by. And it was a reminder about the spirit in that lesson, right? It was, it was a kind of a terrible parenting moment because Maddox was crying at the time. You know, there went Lightning McQueen off, and, and, and we're laughing at the time. Not our best parenting moment, probably. But it taught a lesson to me, maybe, in the midst of that, that as much as we want to control the wind, we can't control the wind, can we? And that's true when it comes to the spirit of God as well. As much as we might want to control the Holy Spirit, it's not something we have power to do. And that's really the lesson we were trying to teach our kids. It was his own parable of sorts. That kids, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. Sometimes it causes tears. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. That when a sailboat goes out on the ocean and the wind blows it, it's harnessing wind. Something you can't see, but you can sure see the effects of the wind. It's the same way if you have a kite that costs more than $10, right? You can see the effects uh, of the kite, the wind at work. That when you see a windmill spinning in one of those wind farms, you see the effects of the wind, but you can't quite see the wind itself. And I don't know about you, but I could use more of that power that I can't quite see in my life. Anyone agree this morning? But, but I also know that in a crowd this size that there there's some out there that are saying, you know, Colin, this sounds pretty cheesy. Really? Spiritual world? Holy Spirit? What, what exactly is this? We live in a world where we organize and know things by what we can see and what we can touch and what we can taste, what we can quantify in some way. We can describe it with words and we can point to it and say, here it is. But, but the spirit stuff, that, that sounds a little regressive, doesn't it? But here's what I'm discovering, that some of the moments in my life that feel most real to me are some of the moments I have the hardest time putting into words that others can fully understand. It would be really problematic if I were to have dinner with, with you and, and ask you the question, what made you fall in love with your spouse? And your response was, well, Fred's five foot nine, and he likes mayonnaise. And he likes to wear blue suede shoes. Like, wouldn't that be an odd response? Like these are things you can quantify. They're things you can use as descriptions. But that's not how, what, what you might say is, well, I, I can't quite describe it, but there was an attraction from, from day one. It was as if I found my other half. Language that's not really language that describes and get calls into to order. It's not too clear. It's hard to put it into words. It's words of metaphor, it's words of poetry, it's words of hyperbole, right? You've had experiences where all you can say is, it was like heaven on earth. Or you've heard this, haven't you? I'm starving. Your kids, right? They're not starving. They're using hyperbole to get at this feeling they can't quite put into words. Or I've been waiting for this moment all my life, or you know, it was like a punch to the stomach. There are times where metaphor speaks more clearly than the language that's about precision, about pointing to it, about the taste and the touch and the smell. No, there are words that go beyond that. You've, you've had this experience before where you've had an experience and you try to come back and tell someone you love about it. 
Or you go to a conference and you try to come back to work and tell them exactly what it was and no one gets it. Because how do you put into words an experience like that? It's not, it's not through words about the timing of when it happened. It's not about the exact words that were said. It was about an experience in the room. It's about a spirit at work, perhaps. And I got to tell you, I, more and more in my life, I am not willing to limit God or the Holy Spirit by what I can put into words. Because if you think about Scripture itself, Scripture is pointing through metaphor to who God is over and over again. God is, God is love. Well, what in the world does that mean? We talk about the heavens and we talk about the, the glory and splendor of God. You look through Psalms, you look through Job and the description. Were you there when I did all these things? These are pointing at pictures of who God is, but no one's, we haven't seen Him face to face. There are people that have. Moses gives us some picture, but still it's, how do you put into words an experience? Of a God that you can't see or touch or taste, that you wish you had right in front of you. Jesus was easier to point to than the Spirit or who God is. Which brings me back to the question I asked earlier. What did Jesus mean when he said, it's good that I leave? Because without me leaving, you don't get this Holy Spirit. I've I've been dwelling on this all week and it seems counterintuitive to me. Because like I said, I, I think I'd opt for Jesus three years there. Then this gift that I have, I don't seem to quite get altogether. Here's what I've come to. It's one thing to walk beside God in the person of Jesus. And it would be an incredible thing to have been there in those days. But it's another thing to have God living inside of you. In the person of the Holy Spirit. What an incredible gift that is. And we take it for granted. Because we miss the fact the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in our bodies for those who are followers of Jesus and who have been baptized in his name. Think about the incredible moment we live in right now. The age of the Spirit of God. Because there was a time where uh, it's it's described in Scripture that creation happens and the Spirit hovers over the waters. God's creating the earth and looking back and calling it good. And there comes a day where God moves a bit closer to creation. There's the tabernacle and there's the Holy of Holies. And one day a year, one person gets to go in and be close to this presence of God. And they have to wear bells so that if it gets quiet, you can pull them out because obviously they're dead and did something wrong. And then God's up on the mountain and, and the people say, don't ever do that to us again. Moses, you go talk to him. We can't stand to be in his presence. But God continues to move closer to his people. He's in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple, he's there as well. His presence is there. His spirit seems to be among his people. But then in, in, in the Gospels, we read a story. It's what we started this series with, the incarnation. That Jesus isn't just this presence that sits in a room someplace you have to be afraid of. Now Jesus is on the earth. And he's showing the kingdom of God. He's healing people of diseases. He's saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. You have eyes to see. And that's all great, but... This move of God from being far off to being in a room to being among us in Jesus, that same spirit is spread out in this room in all of us who claim Jesus as Lord. Inside of us. He he doesn't stand far off and he's not even among us that we can touch him. The presence of God is living inside of us. And if I fully understood what that meant, I think I would, I don't know that I could speak of it. I think it'd be painting through pictures and metaphor. There's another passage I want to point you to that's just another one of these profound passages I don't remember growing up, but, but I've been struggling with this this week. This is John 14, verse 12. 
Jesus says, very truly I tell you, which it's interesting, 16.7 and 14.12, he starts with that. Very truly I tell you. Jesus didn't lie in the other time, so he must really mean this, right? Very truly I tell you. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. In other words, Christians ought to be doing greater things than even Jesus did while he was on the earth. What in the world does that mean? Now, why? What would give us hope that that's actually possible? Well, because today there's not just one Jesus walking around in one locale in the midst of a global world. No, 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 no. There are billions of Christians with the Spirit of God living with them all over the globe. It's not just you have to go to Jerusalem and happen to happen upon this guy who has the Spirit working within him. No, now all of us have the Spirit of God who are followers of Jesus who've been baptized in his name. There's not just one Jesus, all of us are little Jesuses with the Holy Spirit of God working within us. The problem is we're living scared right now. We're fearful. We bought into this narrative of fear that everything's going downhill. Haven't you heard it? America's going down here, we're losing ground, the church may not be here in a few years. It's nonsense because the spirit of the living God is living inside each and every one of you who are followers of Jesus. And I hear it all the time, I'm afraid of where this culture's going, I'm afraid of the world my grandkids are going to end up growing up in. Nonsense. The spirit of the living God is living inside each and every one of us, pointing us and reminding us of everything Jesus said, the church will always be in good hands. Not because of who we are, but because of the Spirit living inside of us. You will do the works I've been doing, and they will be even greater things than these. It's time for us as Christians to stop living defeated, to stop living scared, to pick our heads up. You remember who wins this, right? It's been said before about the book of Revelation, right? God wins. Pick a side. Don't be stupid. Like, we know how this thing plays out. There's no reason for fear in a time like this. God's got this. He's won the final battle. But if you're going to live the life that Jesus offers to us, then we've got to be connected to the spirit that he offers to us. The other day, Holly and I were in the car, and um, our our youngest daughter, Brooklyn, just turned two years old, and she had her iPad in the car. And uh, her iPad, it was our iPad, but you, you get the picture. Sometimes you wonder, right? And she starts complaining because the Netflix app isn't working on her iPad. Now, I don't know if you know much about iPads. Most of you probably do. But I know we're in the realm of first world problems, so let me start with that. We don't have the 4G iPad. We have the Wi-Fi iPad. For those of you who aren't techies, if you're not connected to the Internet, then there's only so much you can do with your 4G iPad when, uh, or with your Wi-Fi iPad when you're not connected to the Internet. And so when we're at home, everything seems to work. And when we're at the office, everything seems to work. And, and so in her world, it seems to work all the time, except when we get in that car. What's wrong with the car? So we said to Brooklyn, I, I'm sorry, but you can't use your Netflix app because we don't have Internet in, in the car. And she just kept complaining and crying. She didn't seem to get it. Give us a break. It's difficult enough to explain it to some of you about this whole business, right? Much less our two-year-old. I don't know if there's a better analogy than that for the way many of us are living in the world today. So many of our churches right now are living as Wi-Fi iPads without access to the Internet. 
So many of us as Christians, we've got all this hardware already ready to go. We've got the apps downloaded and we're ready to launch out on his mission, but we're not connected to the source of life that does everything in this world. It's not us. It's not the hardware. It's the connection to the source. It's the connection to the internet. It's the connection to the Spirit of God. And oh, that we as the people of God would connect more to the source of where our life is found. There's a world available to us out there if we would just connect with this Holy Spirit of God. You'll do greater things than these. It is good that I go. Because if I go, the Holy Spirit of God will remind you of everything I've taught you and will be living in you. This is the promise of God. And I'm just starting to get connected, church. I don't think I even know the full connection. I don't know what it looks like to walk fully in step with the Spirit of God. But I want to learn, don't you? I want to learn day by day, God, how do I connect with the life that's found in you? How is abundant life, the rich and satisfying life, a life I can tap into? And how do I point to others who aren't yet connected to Wi-Fi? Say, here's your connection. Here's how you get connected to the Internet. The Spirit of God can do the same thing in your life. May we be a people who desire this Spirit that's been such a mystery to us. Let's pray as we close our time this morning. Father, this morning we, uh, we want to pray this prayer together that we've been praying the last couple weeks. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.